Hello and welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast, a show where we talk to experts from the media industry about how journalists can do their jobs better. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. It's been a really difficult few weeks in the news cycle. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has dominated headlines, and whether you're on the ground or reporting it from your newsroom, this can be an emotionally challenging news story to cover. My guest today is Olivia James, a qualified trauma therapist. She talks to us today about how journalists covering the scenes in Ukraine both can and need to look after their well-being during this type of work. Witnessing repeated death and destruction, even through a screen, being close to crossfire if on the ground, or talking to people whose lives have been uprooted can take a heavy toll on journalists. They can experience trauma themselves from being in a war zone, or experience vicarious trauma through engaging with trauma survivors. While war is obviously a traumatic event, it's also important to remember that journalists around the world are covering this news story on top of and after two years of a global pandemic, itself incredibly upsetting and mentally draining to cover. We're going to learn about the warning signs of trauma, some techniques that you can use wherever you are to help cope in the moment, and some aftercare tips to help you wind down after a tough shift. All of that's coming up after this. Journalism.co.uk offers media training courses for journalists, editors and media professionals to help you succeed at your job. Learn how to create outstanding digital content, master web analytics and hone your multimedia skills by attending our next digital journalism bootcamp led by Adam Tinworth. That's happening on the 15th of March. For more details and to book your place, visit www.journalism.co.uk forward slash courses. Olivia, thank you for very much for jumping on the journalism.co.uk podcast. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Would you tell our audiences a little known fact about yourself, please? Yes, a little known fact is I'm also a horticulturalist. So any I can sp- I can name a plant at 30 paces. So Latin names, you name it. If you ever want to know the name of a shrub or a plant, I'm your woman. What's the, what's the one behind you then that I can see? Oh, that's an ivy, heterohelix. It's just really easy peasy. Well, rolls off the tongue, rolls off the tongue. <laughs> it's been um, a tough couple of days, weeks in the news agenda for obvious reasons with the war in Ukraine. Um, it's been a relentless and rolling news story for, for the journalists who are covering it. Could you tell us what sort of an impact that could have uh, for a journalist who is covering a story such as that? I think that the main the main feature of a trauma like this is just the feeling of like overwhelm, relentlessness and helplessness. A big feature of trauma and vicarious trauma, which is what a lot of journalists are experiencing on top of the, the physical threat, is that feeling of powerlessness that there is very little they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes to trauma, the people that tend to have the best outcomes are the people who are able to take some sort of action, uh, like either to run away or to get away from the situation. At the the moment, when you're being bombed, there's very little you can do. Uh, So it's, it's, I think it's an accumulation. I think that's probably the the biggest thing about this, that it's it's an accumulation of, of trauma. For the absence of any doubt, when we talk about trauma and vicarious trauma, can you put those into terms that that we can more easily understand? Yes, absolutely. So trauma is any situation where there is a a threat of physical harm to yourself, so to your life, to your limb. 
Um, and vicarious trauma is the same, but it's like witnessing it. So a journalist who's like editing photos of a, like a genocide or of people like, you know, really upsetting scenes, they can have this vicarious trauma. So vicarious basically means by proxy. Uh, so it's like a lot of people, like people in the helping professions, first responders, journalists, they can all sustain this vicarious trauma. Mm. And what sort of feelings does that conjure up? What does that actually manifest in? It, it can show up in lots of different ways. So one, people can start to feel incredibly anxious. They can also feel really hopeless and helpless and almost frozen. So the nervous system responds in different ways depending on the person's like own trauma history and then there comes a point where the body is just had it up there's a book on the shelf behind me here called the body keeps the score by dr bessel van der kolk who talks a lot about the levels of trauma that people have and how often it isn't just like in the mind it's actually a physiological like it gets stored in your whole nervous system because that nervous system is the one that that's also responsible for your your autonomic responses like the fight flight and freeze response and so many people depending on the level of trauma they can be in a like a fight flight super anxious hyper vigilant state but also sometimes people can go completely numb right right and of course people want to numb themselves understandably too right so it's quite I think we can all um, relate to these kind of feelings, can't we? Whether we're just watching the news or we're part of it, but those feelings of tension within us or perhaps numbness, yes. all the same. Yeah. When when we are, as journalists, reporting on death and destruction, the likes of which we're seeing in the news, what does that, what's the result of that? The result is that obviously it can be really upsetting and there is a part of a journalist that has to sort of compartmentalize it enough to be able to do your job. I know that when we had the um, the evacuation of Afghanistan, that that CNN reporter said something very similar. But but she said like, there's a part of me that has to compartmentalize so I can still stay detached and report, because if I allow the fullness of it all to to get to me, then I I won't be able to function. Mm. Um, now that's easier said than done, of course. But that that's that easily happens if you're interviewing people whose lives have been turned upside down, who are worried about loved ones back home. It's very easy for those feelings to be imprinted onto you, correct? Exactly, correct. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I I, I guess you know the other side of it is this feeling of constantly trying to keep up and constantly trying to look for updates, search for updates, chasing people. As a journalist, that's your, that's your bread and butter. Yeah. Um, what impact does that have on us? Well, it's relentless, isn't it? It's relentless and it's like you're always on. And especially now, I mean, things are moving so fast that even if you try and have a nap, by the time like you wake up again, it's like moved on so fast, you know. So there is this element of like not being able to switch off. Yeah. I mean, I, I would liken this situation now to like the trauma of the Second World War. But it's it's sort of more immediate because we're we're getting the pictures like immediately, pretty much, aren't we? Yeah. I was just watching a, a video on YouTube from Byline Times of this reporter at the border, and it's like so immediate watching these people like at the border and thinking, my goodness, what what could happen to these people? You know, it's it's very much 
in your face, basically. The first technique Olivia shows me is one that comes in handy whenever you're feeling anxious or uneasy. It's important to know this is not a cure, but a soothing technique to provide temporary relief in the moment. I'd like you to try this with me. Simply hold your hand out in front of you, palm facing you, and then cup your hand. It feels more comfortable for me to use my dominant hand. Next, use your thumb to tap the side of your index finger just where your nail bed is. Keep tapping it. After a short while, lift your index finger out the way and start tapping on your middle finger. Continue to work down to your ring finger and then your pinky finger and then repeat as needed or work back up through your fingers. Olivia uses this technique in therapy sessions for adults suffering with PTSD. She says it's useful because you can use it anywhere and it's very discreet. The idea is that it reduces tension, helps you focus by distracting your mind from difficult or negative thoughts, and then calms you down. Basically, it sends calming signals to the amygdala, which is your little fight, flight, brain, like yeah, organ in the brain that's responsible for that. So it's like one thing people can do. The other thing, if you're really, really like frightened the other thing you can do and this works on the sort of more the older sort of reptilian part of your nervous system is if you move your neck very very slowly and scan the environment again it sounds like calming signals yeah it it feels like you're just loosening the joints slightly as well you are exactly exactly i am um, so so that that's like another technique that people can use sort of in the moment and of course if any if for some people, breathing techniques can work as well. For other people, they really they don't work because they actually make them more anxious. Right. So there's the there's potential to maybe start hyperventilating or something like that. Yeah. People recommend mindfulness for trauma, but when you're in the middle of like a war zone, you really don't want mindfulness. You want to like survive, basically. Right, you want to collect yourself, soothe yourself, organise your thoughts and ground yourself, basically. Yeah, you do, you do. And, like, focus on what you can do, the action that you can take. And I think there is a lot of self-judgment often. When I did my trauma training in, in uh, Los Angeles, my supervisor said to me, watch out for a thing called the Trauma Olympics. Basically, this means that we, we sort of compare our trauma to other people's trauma. And if you're a journalist and you're reporting on something really horrible and you start to feel really anxious and traumatised, you think, why should I feel like this? I haven't just had my house blown up and all my family killed. So we can often feel that we're maybe not resilient enough and that, that we don't have no right to feel upset or traumatised. So I, would, I really want to urge people to like watch out for that. It's the trauma Olympics is a thing and we all do it. It's like it's almost like a form of gaslighting yourself where you think, well, I shouldn't feel like this because other people have had it much worse than me. But don't do that to yourself. <laughs> Validate your feelings, I think, is the bottom line there. Exactly. Ex all this stuff, it's a natural like response to a situation that is completely out of control. It doesn't mean that you're not resilient enough or tough enough. So if you are feeling guilt, then try and sort of put that into perspective. There is a common misconception that trauma is a delayed process, but trauma can also be an immediate reaction to something distressing. 
Immediate trauma is a lot like shell shock, and many soldiers experience this when they've witnessed horrific scenes in battle. It's like a paralysis that shuts down the body, whereas delayed trauma manifests itself when people have come back from war zones and cannot sit comfortably with their back to the door. This is because the nervous system still hasn't adapted to the fact that the person is now in a safe environment. In both cases, you may want to speak to a trauma specialist about a range of suitable therapeutic options about how to re-establish safety. For more case studies about these practices, visit Olivia's website, harleystreetcoach.com. We try and re-establish safety. Because, of course, if you're in the middle of a war zone, it's perfectly adaptive and natural for your system to be in fight-flight mode. But then once you're back and not in an acute danger situation, your nervous system doesn't need to be on high alert. And that's one of the things that trauma treatments can help with to actually help sort of let the nervous system know, re-establish safety, basically. Yeah, climb down from that position of heightened anxiety. Yeah, that makes complete sense. So what would be someone like the early warning signs that you are beginning to suffer with trauma then? I would say like the, the big one, of course, is like flashbacks, intrusive thoughts, nightmares the visual information that we take in can stay with us and that can then sort of trigger us when there is a situation that reminds us a little bit about it so for some people like they can't watch certain things on tv anymore for example because they they remind them so those those are like the intrusive thoughts the nightmares the flashbacks definitely but then also like People want to start really numb themselves. But also what some people do when they come back from a war zone, for example, they kind of start to thrive on danger. So like a returning service model journalist will come back from a war zone and then get a job as an ambulance driver because they kind of feel like in control in those in high pressure, high dangerous situations. Is that good? Bad? I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to follow. It's just an adaptation. So yeah, like some people will will actually start to do other sort of high risk activities as well. Like they might, you know, take loads of drugs or take big dangers with with the with their lives, basically. Uh, so that can be another symptom of like this trauma that hasn't quite been processed. Right, right. I'd like to spare a thought for Ukrainian media and Ukrainian journalists at the moment, as as I understand, are working flat out 24-7. There is no respite and there really is no switching off right now. Um what's what's the potential, you know, damage that could be done in, in a situation like that and how do you manage it? Uh well how, in the moment, like apart from the things we've said, there's very little I mean, I'd love to be able to like give some really good news, but but the reality is it's incredibly tough. What I can say is like their their work is so appreciated, and you know we without them we wouldn't know half of what's going on. So um, what I would say also is like there are organisations that that I know that will help with pro bono like proper trauma treatment so if anybody would like to find out more they can they can email me and i can put them in touch with with um people that can help them like once you know once the 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 immediate danger has passed 
think we all know what it kind of feels like to be waiting on kind of bad news or negative news or negative updates, that kind of feeling of unease and fretting and stress. If you're a Ukrainian elsewhere in the world and you've got loved ones back home, you know, that's going to be a very unsettling feeling as well. Is there anything that can help to bring about some level of comfort, some feeling of ease, anything at all? It's really, really tough for those people because they're limited to what they can do. But I would always say something that you can do, however small, like call the embassy, like try and raise funds, try and like raise awareness, whatever small thing you can do to help will actually help you to stay mobilized instead of like going into like a freeze kind of state. Because I, I almost feel like twiddling your thumbs and, you know, biting your nails and that kind of, not physically, I mean, but when you're on edge and you're struggling because you're feeling like you're not in control of a situation, that's where it becomes very difficult. Absolutely. Uh, yes, definitely. Um, yeah. So when uh, in the last sort of like uh, when we had the Afghan evacuation, um, I did some work with the with the team of a member of parliament who were getting all these desperate calls from people trying to get relatives out of Afghanistan. And again, in those situations, this team were really trying to help and do whatever they could, but they were limited by what they could do because you know they they were only able to use the information that they had from you know from the government from the foreign office basically. So it can be really, really tough, but I would say just try and do what you can. Switching off from your job is super important, but that's often easier said than done, isn't it? Especially for journalists, as the news never stops. If you're struggling to switch off, doing the basics will help. If you can, move your body, get some fresh air, and try to change the scenery. If you're currently working from home or are freelance, maybe this means working from a coffee shop one day. Team leaders can also book out a workspace for employees to give them a break. If you're in a newsroom, getting outside during your lunch break is vital. Olivia compares this technique to how babies often just need a change of scenery if they're getting upset. So you get them to look out of a window or go for a stroll. And you'll find this works for adults too. So and it's the same for, for us adults, I think. We sort of have to learn how to take care of ourselves when we're upset. And those really basic things, whether it's like listening to a song that makes you happy or watching a, a, a cat video or like calling somebody, like th those simple things that you can do. Because like you said, I mean, there is a, obviously ever we all want to be like stuck glued to our phones the whole time. But there is there you know, that's not good for us. Sure. But I, I, I sense that requires a, an amount of self-awareness, though, to stop and uh, stop and realise that we're pacing hallways and exactly. looking at the same four walls. So, yes. I mean, I know there's no magic answers to any of these questions, but no. how do you pull yourself out at the moment and have the conscious to realise that, you know, I need to have a break, basically? Yeah, just try and remember, like, have I been outside today? Set reminders. Does that help? Yeah, setting reminders could definitely help. Or have a yeah. have a little checklist of like once a day. You know, I I use these little cards for things. You know, just have a checklist of things to do. Like, tick. Have I listened to music today? Have I had enough? What, what's what's on your checklist out of curiosity? Oh, basically, on my checklist, it's like, have I been outside? Have I had a walk in the park? Have I listened to uh, some music that I that makes me happy? Have I had enough water to drink? Like, do you do a sort of bedtime routine as well, or anything like that? Uh, I do a little bit. I do a little bit of journaling. But again, one thing that that people sort of 
misunderstand about trauma is that if you've had trauma, then you need uh, to talk about it. And that, that counseling and talk therapy are the whole answer to trauma. Now, again, the, the book behind me, The Body Keeps the Score, just understanding where your trauma triggers come from. Um, I wrote a, a piece for journalism.co.uk uh, about vicarious trauma. And I, I mentioned the, the situation of a serviceman who came back from a war zone with PTSD. And he would be walking down the road and some he would get like the smell of some a burning tire in his nose or he'd hear noise and he would be straight back there. For people with severe trauma like that, just having talk therapy and understanding logically, like, well, this is where my trigger came from, because this, this I can smell this smell and then it reminds me of that war zone. That logical knowledge isn't going to help with the triggers, because the triggers come from lower down in the nervous system. This, this kind of cognitive, logical part of our brain and where language is processed isn't where the trauma is encoded right so i'm not saying talk therapy isn't helpful for some people but it often isn't the whole story when we're talking about ptsd right i'm with you i, I wanted to ask you a question also on aftercare um basically you know for, for those of us that do get to pack up shop after our shift and then wind down for an evening um what can we do in, in aftercare to sort of prevent or mitigate some of these potential feelings of anxiety or trauma down the line? I think if you can move your body, definitely. Again, that will help um, almost complete some of the tension that, that we inevitably hold in our bodies as well. I mean, it sounds really silly, but like if you can do some sort of, if you can go for a run or a walk or a, a sport or something, then if you're if you have the capacity to do that then definitely that will help um and then the other thing is like if you if you are like in the mood like you know hang out with if you have a pet hang out with a pet like try and switch off watch a funny cat video like have a try and get a little sense of something that gives you a little bit of joy and pleasure mm. I think that's a really good final piece of advice. Olivia, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast and for all of your words of wisdom today. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. Great to speak to Olivia there and lots of useful techniques and takeaways to think about. Remember the soothing technique that we spoke about if you're feeling stressed or anxious. Consult a GP or therapist if you're starting to feel overwhelmed by different sights, smells or situations. And make sure your newsroom leader is aware of anything you're struggling with. Olivia said she's happy to point anyone who gets in touch in the right direction. And you can reach her on olivia at harleystreetcoach.com. If you like what you heard today, do check out all our other episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast. And finally, if you'd like to feature on the show or have any thoughts on today's episode, do drop me an email on jacob at journalism.co.uk. That's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.